Our good Father, we pray that your word would really be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and that by it we might see Jesus, your Son, and be changed by him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So this past week, we did start a new series in the book of Exodus. And what we saw is that at the very beginning, as we go into this book, we're going to be faced with some very real challenges. Uh, In a world where we're drawn to everything that is new, Exodus is really old, a 3,000 years kind of old. In a world where our attention spans are not getting longer, but getting shorter, Exodus is a long book that demands our attention and our patience. And in a world of loving just to be told what to do, Exodus doesn't tell us what to do. It gives us a story. It gives us a a before Jesus Old Testament story that was written by a people long ago and far away to a people long ago and far away. And so we started by asking the question, why Exodus? Why for us? Why now? And we focused on two very specific reasons. First, we said, because Exodus was written for us. We heard these words from the New Testament that say, whatever was written in former days, like Exodus, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So Exodus is speaking to us here and now. It's addressing some of the most fundamental questions that we have about life. Namely, who is God? Who are we? How are we to live? And we also saw that Exodus isn't just looking to pack our heads with more information, but it is looking to give us two very valuable resources that are very scarce in our world. Encouragement and hope. So wherever we are, whatever is happening in our lives, Exodus was written for us here and now to give us encouragement, to give us hope. And the second reason for why Exodus is because the Exodus story is our story. The main overarching story of the Exodus is God pulling his people out of trouble and pulling them into a life-giving relationship with himself. And as we step back, that's the story of the whole Bible, of God pulling his people out and pulling them close. And we saw how that is the story of Jesus and what he has come to do. And we're going to see this along the way that all of Exodus is going to be pointing forward to Jesus and the greater Exodus that he has come to do. And that may be confusing right now, but we're going to try to tease it out and pull it apart as it clums alongside of us. Now that's, that's the 30,000 view of, of why Exodus and what's it about. And today we're, we're on the runway and we're just beginning to take off in Exodus 1. And what we're going to see in this chapter is we're going to see signs. We're going to see signs of what the rest of the book is going to be about And we're going to see signs that are going to point us in what we are to give our attention to. They're going to be signs to point us towards who God is and who He is for us. And like any other sign, how we interpret the sign is critical. Being able to read the signs rightly and follow them where they are truly leading 
is foundational. And so this morning, I want to focus on, on three very specific signs that we're going to hear, see here. We're going to see signs of God's presence. We're going to see signs of God's absence. And we're going to see signs of his deliverance. So his presence, his absence, and his deliverance, and along the way, what it all means for us. So first, signs of God's presence. A lot of the action movies these days, they, they start out with these huge blockbuster action scenes. So you have these, these dramatic uh, car races and, and these big guns, dramatic music, special effects. It's, it's just like it's taking you and it's just shaking you. And nowadays what we see is they're, they're all trying to, to one-up one another. So bigger fights, bigger guns, bigger car chases. Because they're trying to be dramatic. Uh, Exodus is, is about a dramatic rescue. But we wouldn't see that by these opening words. There's no explosions. There's no special effects. What we see is the most undramatic thing that we can probably think of. And that's a, we see a family tree. It's like going into someone's house and looking at a family tree and say, this is, this is where you came from. That, that's not setting us up for this dramatic, powerful, deliberate rescue. Verse 1, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Uh, every family tree has basically the same message. This is where you came from. Uh, these are the roots and the branches that, that make your life possible. And there's a danger as we begin our journey through Exodus of reading these opening words and thinking that's all that's happening here. Of God is just kind of showing us a family tree saying, well, this is where it all came from and this is the family. But, but what these opening words speak to us, they say God is a God who is faithful and present and who always keeps his promises. And to see that, we've got to go back to the book before it. The, the book of Exodus, actually in the Hebrew, it begins with the word and. And we don't, we don't start words with and in English typically, but it's the Hebrews are starting it with and to connect it with what was going on before there. Now, if you want the big picture of Genesis, there are basically three movements, okay? The first movement is God creating everything, and there are certain rhythms to this where he creates something and he says it's good. He creates something and it's good. He creates something and it's good. And then he creates humanity and he says it's very good. And, and there is an original design that humanity being made in God's image was created for a specific purpose. We were created to be like God in our character and in how we live that we might multiply and that we might reflect who he is to the world around us. You could say that we were meant to be many kings and queens over the world that God had made and to reflect his gracious rule in the world. And so we read, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over all of life. As his image bearers, we're called to spread. But then you have the second movement of Genesis, which is where things go wrong. Humanity wants to go its own way and this perfect image begins to become twisted so that 
Years and years down the road, you have something like Auschwitz and these German camps, which are the exact opposite of humanity's design to reflect God's character and purposes to the world around. Something has gone very, very wrong. But God doesn't just look at his world that's gone wrong and say, I'm done, you're done, we're starting over, I'm out of here. God starts with one person, with one family, and makes a promise, saying, I am going to, to you, Abraham, I'm going to take your family, and I'm going to bless you. And through you, your family is going to be a blessing to all the world. So God is taking His creation that has gotten hijacked, and He is getting it back on course remaking this one, starting with this one people to remake them after himself, to bring them close that they might spread and bear his image. Abraham's family, there was a promise that his family is going to be as numerous as the stars and that they're going to be a blessing to all the nations. So that's, that's the backdrop that we're kind of ushered into, that any Israelite reading these opening words of Exodus would, would come with all that baggage, but we're, we don't come with that, so we've got to sit in it for a moment. And so when we read in verse 7, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them, there are some key words in there that any good Israelite would have picked up on and said, that's Genesis. That's God's design that has gotten haywired and that now God is working through this one family to bring about something much better. God's work is continuing. God's promise to fix what is so broken in creation and in His world is being brought to fulfillment. And so, when we read the first seven verses, we may miss it, but they would have read, God is present and God is faithful. God is keeping His promises even when everything else seems to say He is gone and He has forgotten us. Because there are other signs here. There are signs of His presence, but this gets us to the second set of signs. There are very clear signs of His absence. There were times when my boys were younger and Katie would be gone and I'd be out working outside and then maybe one of them would wake up or look around and all of a sudden realize that, okay, mom's not here, uh, dad's not here, and they begin looking all around the house. Do I hear them? Do I see them? I check the living room. I check the bedroom. I check the basement. Um, they're looking for evidences that we are somewhere to be found, that we haven't just up and left. They're looking for signs of presence. But as they look around, the more they look around, the more they see signs of absence, which if there were times when they were really young, this would be very scary for them. It'd be a traumatic experience. And then they'd finally come outside, they'd see me, and then um, they'd realize that I hadn't completely abandoned them, but they would treat me as if, you know, where did you go? Why did you leave us? Why don't you care? But all along, despite all the signs of my absence, I was right there along the way. As the book of Exodus opens up, the people are looking around, and there, there are some signs that are very much pointing them to, um, to a statement that, that God has left them. 
The first, there, there's two of these I want to highlight. The first is that they're very far from home. Remember that part of the Genesis promise was that God was going to give them a land in which they could dwell, in which he would be with them. And they would flourish as his people. Uh, Egypt is not that place. They are not in the land that God had promised them. And they've actually been here for 430 years. So if you're trying to put that into perspective, 430 years ago uh, was um, 1692, right? 1592. It was 1592. Um, That's a long time to be waiting, to be wondering. It's a long time as generations pass to see families come and go to wonder, is is God going to keep his promises? And you begin to wonder, where is he? What is he doing? And where they are now, it's not just that they're far from home, but their, their far from home place is becoming an increasingly difficult place to be. Long ago, the Egyptians, they, they'd, they'd welcomed them with open arms, but things are changing. Verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to the people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So what did they do? Verses 11 and 13, They set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. They made their lives bitter with hard service. Oppression, injustice, affliction, suffering, slavery, bitter service, ruthless mistreatment. And so that's their experience. But remember, these are the very people that God looks at them and says, you are my treasured possession. I love you and you are mine. And so we see this tension between a God who says, I'm actually going to bless you and through my blessing you, the whole world is going to be blessed of the promise and the actual reality that they face. This tension appears throughout the Bible. A God who is good, a God who is with us, a God who is for us, and yet living in a life that can be very, very, very hard. And when this happens, it stretches our trust that He's good, that He's with us, that He's really for us, which is one reason why we read these kinds of honest prayers of struggle in the Psalms. Why are you so far away from my groaning? Why are you so far away in times of trouble? Why are you sleeping? How long will you hide your face from me? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? How long will you forget me? Why have you forsaken me? These are honest prayers that are in the Bible for us because they capture some of what we often feel and we often experience. Um, Where are you feeling this right now? In your own life, where where do you see signs that point to God is is not present? Uh, God does not care. God is not with you. God is not for you. Where where are you noticing those and interpreting them uh, 
in that way. Things are, are bad here for God's people, but they actually go from bad to worse. The, this new opposition, gets these pressures get so strong that Pharaoh comes up with a plan to, to put an end to this spreading, this multiplying, these people being a blessing in any type of way. A plan to exterminate all the newborn male children. And at first it happens through uh, the work of the midwives. And the second we see just this plan just to throw them all into the Nile. And so th- this is real. This is harsh. There's, there's a huge tension between uh, what God has promised and, and their reality. And so there's got to be a third set of signs if they are to have any hope. And so there, there are signs of God's presence that, that point to good things happening, but there are also some very clear signs of His absence that stretch our faith. And this leads us to our final set of signs, and that's we see signs of deliverance. We don't, we don't see this deliverance here, but we're getting whispers of it. A movement is building. It's like, it's like a wave that is gaining momentum. Because these signs are not just saying that, that God is with you in your suffering, but, but they're signs that are pointing to this hope that your suffering will not have the final say. That there will be a good end to the story. The suffering and hardship, it presses, it presses, it presses. And in verse 12, we read, The more that they were pressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. So there's, there's many different types of, of martial arts, and, and a lot of them are focused around this philosophy of using your strengths to expose the weaknesses of your opponents, taking your power, your ability, focusing on attack. But there's one that operates a little differently, and that's uh, jujitsu. Uh, I'm not a jujitsu master. I'm not hiding that in, in my closet. Uh, but I've seen movies where jujitsu happens. Uh, what you're doing in this that makes it a little different is you use the, the force of your opponent that comes against you and you rework it to come against them. So it's primarily a, a defensive type of martial arts that doesn't focus on the force that, that you bring to the table, but it focuses on taking an energy that comes at you and against you and reworking it to go towards your opponent. It's taking their punches, it's taking their kicks, and it's, it's absorbing the force and redirecting it towards their weaknesses. And we see something kind of like that happening here. We see Pharaoh with his force, with his power, using it against this small group of people only to find it come right back at him to actually bring about blessing to this people. And we see it in these two unsuspecting, unsuspecting heroes, and that's Shipra and Pua. Now, uh, when we tell about heroes of the Bible, we typically don't go to these two, but they are two heroes of the Scriptures. We live in a world uh, where we're, all, we're clamoring for titles and for influence and for platforms because that's how we think that the world has changed. But what we see here is, is two very ordinary women doing very ordinary work, acting with extraordinary courage 
that God uses to bring about an extraordinary deliverance. See, we're, we're going to hear a lot about, about Moses and all that he does and how he's leading the people in some amazing ways. But without the courage and faith and willing sacrifice of these two women, there is no Moses. Uh, there is no exodus. There is no deliverance. And what this gives us a picture of is how God works. There is a huge, huge difference. There is an irony here between the, the power of Pharaoh and, and the, the weakness and seemingly insignificance of these two ordinary midwives just doing their job. And, and everything about this is presenting this point that God, in his deliverance, is going to use what looks like foolishness what looks like weakness, what looks like insignificance, what looks like defeat to bring about his powerful redemption and victory. There's nowhere that this is clearer than in the cross of Jesus Christ. So as we see how the Old Testament begins to point forward to the New Testament. We're seeing some similar signs here. Everything about the cross says weakness. Everything about the cross says shame. Everything about the cross says defeat and helplessness and foolishness. But this is the heart of the good news, that God takes something that is so weak, so seemingly foolish in our eyes, something that is utter defeat, and he says, this is the victory. From the letter to the Colossians, he canceled the record of charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, through the cross, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Which is why Jesus can say to us here now, in this world you will have much trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As you think about your own life, how are you interpreting the signs around you? Are you seeing signs of his presence? Are you on the lookout for signs where you see God at work, God being faithful, God providing, God protecting? Can you, can you look at those signs and say God is faithful and he always keeps his promises? What are you doing with the signs in your life that point to this false truth that God is gone? How are you making sense of these signs that are saying God doesn't care, He's not with you, He's not for you, He has left you? Signs of deliverance. The greatest sign that we have of God's deliverance, both here and in the future, is this empty cross and an empty tomb where God says, I'm going to use something that looks like weakness and foolishness to rescue you from powers that are much greater than slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. I am going to rescue you from sin, from death, from all the evil forces that are against you. And this is my greater exodus through my greater son. And our prayer as we venture forward by faith is that we will pay attention to the signs in the right way and know that God is faithful and with us and always for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you 
You're not a God who makes promises lightly. And you are a God who never breaks your promises to us. Even when uh, it looks like you've uh, forgotten and forsaken, we know that that's never true. Help us to be a people as we walk through our own wilderness journey to be mindful and aware of your faithfulness and presence always. Help us to look at the signs that point to your absence and to remember the death and resurrection of your son and know that they are not true, that you have given everything for us and that the sign of deliverance in his resurrection and in his death is real. Help us to live by faith. In your son's name we pray. Amen.